We are in the third week of Advent in the third week of our message series called Jesus Messiah. The word Messiah is a Hebrew word and it literally means anointed one. In Greek, this, this Hebrew word Messiah is usually translated Christ or Christos. So when we say Jesus Christ, we are literally saying Jesus Messiah or Jesus the Anointed One. In the Old Testament, the title Messiah refers to the one who would usher in a period of righteousness and also conquer sin and evil. Many of the Jews at Jesus' time thought that the Messiah was going to be a military leader who would lead Israel to triumph over her enemies, especially the occupying Romans. But political solutions don't work for spiritual problems. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And it's this Messiah whose birth we're gonna celebrate in just a few days. And since Christmas is so close, I just wanna share a couple words about what you can expect at church next week. First, since the fourth Sunday of Advent and Christmas are two distinct liturgical celebrations, we have to, no, 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 we get to come to church twice. (laughs) The fourth Sunday of Advent and Christmas, two separate visits, it's that important. But I should say, since next week is a busy week, we are condensing our mass schedule a bit for the fourth Sunday of Advent. And be very clear, so for the fourth Sunday of Advent, that is one week from today, there will not be a 9 a.m. mass. Okay, since you're all at the 9 a.m. mass, I want you to be very clear, next week, (laughs) there's going to be no 9 a.m. mass. We'll see you at 11 a.m. or on Saturday at four. Sounds good? Okay, but wait, there's more. For the 31st, December 31st, we're gonna do the exact same thing. So on the 31st, there's going to be no 9 a.m. mass. Okay, do you have that? So the next 9 a.m. mass will be in 2024, right in New Year's. Okay, so I will see you all then, very clear. Okay, then let's get to Christmas. So for Christmas, we're gonna have two masses on Christmas Eve, they'll be at, here at four and six, and then Christmas morning will be at St. Bridget at 11 a.m. Just so you can plan ahead, we anticipate the 4 p.m. mass to have the heaviest crowds, so if everything is equal to you, maybe consider coming to the six or the 11. Um, also, I just wanna talk a little bit about what you can expect at the different masses. So the 4 p.m. mass is going to include music from our children's choir, and they're gonna sing a prelude at 3.40. The 6 p.m. mass is going to have our praise and worship band with the addition of trumpets, and they're going to start a prelude at 5.35. And then 11 a.m. mass on Christmas morning We will have traditional carols accompanied by our organ. And before that mass at um, 1040, we're going to have a Christmas sing-along for the prelude. So the long of the short of it is plan on coming early for all the masses for Christmas. All of our masses are gonna be very special 
and there can be great opportunities if you wanted to invite a friend or a family member to come to Mass. And I would just say for myself, I'm so excited for Christmas and I cannot wait to celebrate Christmas with you. One of the pieces of classical music that people generally associate with this Christmas season is a piece that actually wasn't intended initially for Christmas. Handel's Messiah. Handel's Messiah, the Baroque masterpiece, was actually initially intended for Easter. Running two hours and 45 minutes, Handel's Messiah is divided into three parts which trace the life of Jesus, the Messiah. The first part, which is admittedly very fitting for Advent, principally focuses on the Old Testament prophecies which foretold the coming of the Messiah and then it moves to the announcement of the Messiah's birth to the shepherds. The second part centers on Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and then it ends with the famous hallelujah chorus. Hallelujah. You've heard it. And then part three covers Jesus' resurrection and ascension. Messiah was composed in 1741 in part as a response to a growing belief system which held that God does not intervene in the world. This growing belief system called deism um, also kind of held that God was like a watchmaker who kind of set the watch, made creation, set it in motion, and was hands off after that. A result of this deism was that people thought that Jesus was not divine and that God's grace does not impact our lives. That's part of the backdrop why this Handel's Messiah was composed. Perhaps you've experienced this sort of um, thinking in people. People who say something like, Jesus is just a good guy, a moral teacher. However, it's impossible for Jesus to be simply a good guy or a moral teacher because he was either the Messiah he claimed to be or not. And if he was not the Messiah he claimed to be, then he was either a liar or a lunatic and therefore his words cannot be trusted. And the ultimate proof that Jesus is in fact the Messiah he claimed to be is his resurrection from the dead. As his miracles show, Jesus intervenes in creation and he does things that only God can do. And I bet if we think of it for ourselves, we can think of all the different ways that God's grace has impacted our lives. I know if I think about it for me, I can think of the times that God has picked me up when I've sinned, um, and also the different kind of inspirations and graces that he's given me, things that I could not have come up with on my own. The words of the Old Testament prophets that Handel's Messiah quotes from, they point out the coming of the Messiah from afar. You know, for instance, Isaiah's prophecy that the Savior would be born of the Virgin was made about 700 years before Jesus' birth. In today's gospel, however, 
we see a prophet who points out the Messiah when he's near. John the Baptist. And what's so inspirational about John the Baptist is that his mission defines his whole life, which is simply to point out the Messiah when he is near. John the Baptist's purpose is to prepare for the Messiah, to prepare for Jesus, a people who are capable of receiving the kingdom of God, to prepare a people capable of receiving the kingdom of God. If you've seen the TV show, The Chosen, which is kind of an imaginative take on this, you know that they portray John the Baptist as being somewhat, okay, very eccentric and single-minded. And it, okay, there's some artistic license here for sure, but I think it kind of makes a little sense. You know, John the Baptist is so focused on his mission that he doesn't care about many of the things that we care about, like our own personal comfort or what others think of us. No, John the Baptist totally forgets himself because he is so focused on his mission and then he lives with true concern for others. By preaching and proclaiming a baptism of repentance, John the Baptist inwardly prepared many people so that they could receive Jesus the Messiah. Without the faith response of John the Baptist, many people would not have faith. And so it is for you and so it is for me. As our faith has relied on others, so the faith of others relies on us. In different ways, God has given you a responsibility for others. And many great things depend on whether or not you or I live as God intends. That's very important, let me say that again. Many great things depend upon whether or not you or I live as God intends. And so I think it's helpful for us to ask ourselves from time to time these questions. Do I bring the people around me closer to God? Do I give good example in the way I live? Do I talk about God when I have the opportunity? When we do things like these, like John the Baptist, we prepare the way for the Messiah who is so near.